Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Good morning, Gateway. It is so good to see you all today uh, in the room. It's good to see you guys online as well. Excited that today's your first day as a campus. And there's a real hubbub in the room, isn't there? You can kind of hear the, hear the hum. Are you excited to be in the room because it's nice and dry in here? It's been a bit of a wet, old, soggy weekend. Hey, um, if you haven't yet met, my name is Brad. I'm a discipleship pastor here at our Mackenzie campus, and I have the privilege today of sharing with you. I um, have been reminded over this whole series, Letters to the Church series, that letters are important. Now, I'm maybe from a, I can't say young generation anymore because I've got enough gray hair to prove that's not true. Uh, but for me, I've been scrolling across last night uh, while the election coverage was on my TV, Facebook, and I saw a whole bunch of Facebook memories and did a bit of a deep dive on some memories and some, some things we wrote about while we were overseas. Mercy and I, when we first got married, actually had the chance to go to Indonesia on a mission trip. Love that. A lot of fun. I had a really good time there. Uh, But if anyone who's been to Indonesia, you're going to know as soon as I say this, who has had the joy, the absolute joy of tasting the king of fruit, the durian. Anyone hands up? Tell us online if you've had durian. Everyone who's got their hand up has gone, oh yeah. Now there are some, very few, minuscule amount of people who will like to taste the durian. When you cut into that king of fruit, that big spiky green thing, you cut into it, you get this waft of jet fuel. It's disgusting. I could not stand it. I could not stand the durian. I had to try it because they say you have to try it while you're over there. So I tried a bit of it. I ate it. I could not keep it down. I just, it came back up uh, in not a great way, but I had this durian taste in my mouth, not just all day, no matter how much banana or how much other stuff that I don't really like eating, I try to wash that taste away. I had the bad taste of durian in my mouth all week. I could not get rid of it. Uh, Whether you've had durian or not, I don't know whether whether I'm selling it very well today. Uh, Go to Indonesia and try it for yourself. But there are definitely things we eat and things that we do that put a bad taste in our mouth. I couldn't get that. I couldn't, as much as I try, I couldn't like, clean my teeth enough to get durian out of my mouth. But today, I wonder if there's things that we do or say or think or believe or, or things that we do to one another that leave a bad taste in our mouth. I um, had the chance to preach my first ever message at Big Kids Church. So I've done a lot of devotions in youth ministry. I've done a lot of uh, some camp stuff across my time. But I finally felt like the church felt like it was finally a time in my old church Brad, you got the big call up to come, to come to the evening service and preach at adult church. I was like, cool, this is exciting. I'm really excited about this. I prepared. I'd done all my preparation. I over-prepared. Did all my work. I was doing communion as part of that message. And I got to Woolies, parked in the car park, got the stuff for Woolies, got back to my car. And the car right next to me had his bonnet popped open. And they had jumper leads out. And they were, saw me as I approached. And I kind of went to them. And they said, hey, excuse me, sir. Do you mind if you might just take two minutes to help jumpstart our car? Our battery's flat. And in what is my least flattering moment of my life, I said these words. I'm sorry I can't help you. I've got to get to church to preach about Jesus. (laughs) Not my finest moment. Particularly because the title of that message was Serving a World in Need. Clearly, I didn't get that right. I reckon my comment would have had them scratching their heads, but would have left a bad taste in their mouth about Christians, about Jesus. And as I was driving to church after that, I got the deep rebuke from the Holy Spirit. As I was driving to church, and Bradley, you did not pay attention. 
You didn't have your eyes open to serve a world in need. And I was a wreck, actually, on my way to church. I cried, and I was a bit of a blubbering mess. I had that deep conviction of the Holy Spirit on that drive. When I got to church, I tanked that sermon. I absolutely bombed it. I was terrible at it. It was really bad. I got really bad uh, um, feedback from it as well because they said I needed to kind of work on my presentation and all that stuff. Little did they know, I had the conviction and the rebuke of the Holy Spirit upon me. See, at the time, my lack of maturity and my complacency about how to put my faith into action, make my words and my deeds match up, that complacency of young Brad, I think, would have left a bad taste in Jesus' mouth, even more so than it left a bad taste in mine. But that is exactly where the church we're looking at today, the church of Laodicea, in our final letter to the letters of the church, is exactly where they're at. They are so uh, displeasing to Jesus as he writes that they only have, there's no encouragement in this letter, there is only a rebuke. So what I want to say before we begin, though, is this. Verse 19, Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, the letter we're going to go through today, gives us this key in the middle of it. It says, to those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. The latest in church, for whatever reason, as we'll discover in a moment, is so distasteful to Jesus that there's no encouragement, there's only a rebuke. And it's because uh, he gives this rebuke because he cares deeply and loves them deeply. He wants to see them flourish as a church. See, no matter what where we're at today, whether we feel like we've been rebuked, whether we feel like we've been corrected or, or encouraged or whatever the word might be during this series of letters to the church from the Holy Spirit speaking to us, it's because that rebuke comes from the Lord because he loves us. It reminds us that when we are rebuked, it's because with Jesus, there is always, always, always a chance for us to repent and be redeemed. That's our starting point today. So as Jesus also works with his church, this timeless truth must sink into our hearts. If we feel like today is a bit of a, oh gee, kind of a message, remember, Jesus gives this word to the church in Laodicea because he loves them. Let's get into the, the letter. You ready? Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. We're going to go through this letter a few verses at a time, so follow along with me. Verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Let's just pause here for a second. Strong words from Jesus. And growing up, I heard this, this verse used constantly for, you've got to turn up the, 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 the flame of your spiritual fervor, be passionate for the Lord. You've got to have a spiritual temperature that is off the charts to get people to be in relationship with Jesus. Now, this isn't necessarily a bad message, but to be, not be lukewarm is not what actually Jesus is saying to the church in Laodicea right now. See, the church in Laodicea would have heard this. Don't be lukewarm because your water's terrible. See, the city of Laodicea had, poison, had a poisonous water source. If people drank the water that was naturally found in Laodicea, they would drink it and they'd start to vomit and get diarrhea. It's such a bad water source. Therefore, they needed to get water pumped in from other places. So 10 kilometers to the north is the city of Heropolis. And it is famous in ancient history for its hot springs. 
so they decided, let's kind of nick a bit of their water. So they kind of made some channels that kind of worked its way, the 10-kilometer journey from Hierapolis all the way down to Laodicea. Uh, it crossed a whole bunch of uh, rocky outcroppings that are calcified uh, with, with different scum and stuff like that. So by the time this piping hot water from the hot springs in Hierapolis arrives all the way on that journey down the hillside towards Laodicea, it is no longer piping hot. It is merely lukewarm. And it tastes like minerals and calcification. To add to this, they had needed to find a source for cold water. So 16 kilometers to the south is a, is a town called Colossae. This is where we get the, the letters to the Colossians from. Paul's writing to the, the Colossian church. But in the mountains outside Colossae, they decided to build an aqueduct that would run all the way of the 16 kilometers all the way to Laodicea. Now, if we put anything out in the sun for too long, it's going to get warm. So as the ice-cold water begins to trickle its way down the aqueduct and lands in Laodicea, by the time it gets there, it is lukewarm. Laodicea's got a problem, a water problem. Whether it's coming from the hot springs or coming from the ice-cold mountains, whatever water gets to their city is either poisoned, lukewarm and salty, or lukewarm and gross. They've got a water problem. So for them, they wouldn't have understood this as a spiritual temperature problem. They would have understood Jesus' words speaking directly to their context. It's less about spiritual fervor, and Jesus is suggesting the Laodicean church was as useless as their water. Let's continue. Revelation 3.17, you say, I am rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I cancel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Let's just pause again. Again, Jesus isn't speaking in code here. We think Revelation's about code. He's speaking to a specific context. The later scenes would have heard Jesus speak and known exactly what he's talking about because they were known for three things. Firstly, the later scenes were known as being unbelievably wealthy. They were a financial powerhouse in Asia Minor. So much so that when an earthquake happened that has destroyed some of the other churches we've talked about at the time, uh, the, latest, the, the Roman Empire actually said, we're going to help you rebuild every city in Asia Minor, spending a bit of money from, from Caesar. Laodicea went, thanks Rome, no thanks, we've got this. So they kind of spent their own money to rebuild the city more in their own image, building it flashy, building it nice. They rebuilt the entire city with their own funds, but Jesus says to them in this letter here, not to buy gold and get gold from the city, but to buy gold from him, gold that's been refined in fire, where all impurity is cast out, so that their love for God and their love for others may be pure. The second thing Laodicea was known for was their extensive textile industry. They had perfected a unique way of of developing black cloth made from pure black wool. Now, in ancient times, to get something pure black was actually very difficult to do and for it to to not fade in terms of clothing and cotton. But the Laodiceans had done it. And they were renowned for it. It was like the fashion capital, like Milan, uh, trying to get their black wool from Laodicea. But again, Jesus rebukes the church. He says, don't keep wearing your black cloth. He says, put on white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. See, the early church in Laodicea had bought into the commercialism of their city. 
They'd become complacent uh, in the fact that they could get everything they needed. They'd lost a dependence, a deep dependence on Jesus for all their needs and had been finding it in the city. The third thing that Laodicea was known for was they were a thriving medical center. Now, they developed a popular eye cell. It was kind of a time where medicine was evolving rapidly. They didn't really know what to do, but it was one of the first places where for multiple injuries or multiple things going on at once, they had to have multiple solutions for it. That's kind of the, where they were medically wise at the time. And they found that by combining two agents, they could make something called Phrygian powder. It's basically like a, a, a dough they would put on people's eyes for eye ailments. And it would do marvelous work. It would actually heal a whole bunch of eye ailments. Uh, and they were very much known as a medical center at the time. But again, and they become famous for it. But again, Jesus says, put salve on your eyes so you can see. Implying that the church, uh, even though they had this medical marvel right in front of them, they'd lost sight of what was really important. Intimacy with him and serving their people. They developed a spiritual blindness instead. See, Jesus isn't speaking in code to the latest in church. He's directly addressing the things that they were preoccupied with. See, in Colossians 4.16, Paul encourages the latest in church. This is 50 years before this is being written, roughly. He encourages them for their strong faith and their commitment. But here, in Revelation, a number of years later, that is now lost. Something has happened. Jesus no longer commends them on their faith, but finds them distasteful because they had become a complacent church. Complacency in the latency in church leaves a bad taste in Jesus' mouth, such a bad taste, he wants to vomit and spit them out. He doesn't want to have a bar of it. They were self-satisfied by what their city could provide them, with what their culture would provide. They didn't have a deep dependence on the Lord anymore. They weren't concerned with actually being the church. They had everything they needed. Uh, everyone in town had everything they needed. They weren't just concerned with the real issues of faith, intimacy with God, uh, maturing in Christ, or giving, working in their gifts in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The latest in church was rebuked by Jesus because in his eyes... For all of their stuff they had, they were as good as worthless as the water they drank. Their lack of usefulness as a church, their lack of fruitfulness as a church, they were apathetic, lazy and apathetic to all that really mattered. They were so caught up living a comfortable life that they were apathetic and not being the church. This leaves a bad taste in Jesus' mouth. He can't stand what the latest in church has become. And my main question I want to ask this today is this. If Jesus were writing a letter to Gateway Baptist Church here in 2020, what would be in that letter? Would it be an encouragement? Keep doing the things you're doing because you're seeing fruitfulness. Or would there also be, as we've seen with every letter so far, a rebuke? Would we be rebuked because we come complacent? Because in a big church like this, we can sometimes feel like we have everything we need. But Jesus finds that so distasteful, he wants to vomit it out. Is your life today, the life that you live day in, day out, radically different than your neighbor who may not be a Christian? And if it looks pretty similar, I wonder if Jesus would have a rebuke for us. We're called to live radically different lives. Are you putting time to deepen 
and grow the intimacy you have with our Lord and Saviour. Spending the time with him. Are you stretching your faith by serving God and investing in the lives of others? Are you sharing the gospel with that one person, that one person in your life, in your family, your friendship group? They might have been your friend forever. The person you work with, who's that one person you are sharing your life and faith with and praying that they would come to know the life and faith in Jesus that you have? If we answer these questions honestly, I wonder what letter Jesus would write to us as individuals, but also to us as a church family. I don't know. I don't know what Jesus would write. I think he would see a lot of great stuff. But I think he would also be encouraging us and rebuking us about a number of things as well, to not be complacent about what we have, but find ways to live out your faith and and do it well. See, Jesus says in, in, in chapter 3, verse 19, for those I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. But then he says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they with me. All is not lost. There is a chance to repent. There is a chance to find hope in this space. And this verse in Revelation reminds me of what Jesus was all about. Jesus spent many a time eating with tax collectors and sinners. Matthew chapter 9, verse 10 begins, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but come to call sinners. See, Jesus was more interested in who was willing to eat and be with him than he was about who was in and out according to the law. And this, for me, rings true of what God has always been about. Amos chapter 5 in the Old Testament reminds us, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Now, hear the language in this and let it hear what Jesus is talking to the latest scenes about. He wants to spit them out, to vomit them out. Listen to God's words. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-ending stream. In every, every letter, Jesus says, I see your deeds. He tells the church, I see your deeds. Now, he wants not a complacent heart or a complacent church He sees our deeds. He doesn't want a complacent church. He doesn't want activity or religious activity of coming to a church on a Sunday and living a different life for the rest of the week. He wants consistent uh, and uh, consistency, not complacency. He doesn't want it from. He's never wanted it from Israel. He got so caught up and tangled in the law that they forgot to actually care for their neighbour. He doesn't want it from the Pharisees who are so important about social structure they forgot that everyone should be invited to the table. He doesn't want it from the Laodiceans who have become so comfortable in their context they've forgotten to share the gospel. Jesus doesn't want religion. He wants intimacy. He doesn't want religion. 
He wants, he wants a deep, a revived relationship with him. Renewed vigor and deep personal devotion to the one who is knocking at the door. Asking, can I come in? He's knocking on the door with a voice that speaks on behalf of those where there is no justice or hope. He speaks on behalf of the broken, the poor, the lost and the broken. This letter, along with every letter, finishes with these words. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Do we hear what the Spirit is saying to the church? Because Jesus still walks among his church. He walks among the lampstands. Now, as he gazes at the lampstands around in the seven, the seven lampstands in his, in his letters, what is he seeing? History tells us that as Jesus walks past the lampstands and, and, and cares for them and looks at them, he encourages and rebukes them that they might keep their light shining day in, day out. But for whatever reason across history, all of these churches in Asia Minor have had their lamps go out mainly due to human failings across the Crusades, but all the lamps that Jesus is writing to, all the lampstands have been taken away and there is no longer light in modern-day Turkey. It is a mostly Muslim nation. But Jesus walks among the lampstands today still. He still walks amongst them. He still cares for them, looks at them, encourages them and rebukes them, reminding them they can be all of all they can be together. He looks at them and cares for them. And when he reaches Gateway Baptist Church, what is his question? What kind of light are we shining for the gospel? Are we barely flickering? Just barely getting on? Or are we shining a bright, bright light for Jesus among the nations in our community and right across the world? As Jesus walks among the lampstands today, what does he see in you? What does he see in us? He walks with his church today, but are we hearing what the Spirit is saying to the church? Do we know for certainty that we taste good to Jesus? Or does he want to spit us out of his mouth like the latest in church? A number of years ago, uh, Tony Campolo, who's one of my favorite preachers, tells this story that he was on a bit of a preaching tour and landed in Hawaii. It's a pretty sweet gig to be able to go to Hawaii for a preaching tour. Lands at a ridiculous hour of the night, but his body clock's all wrong after having flown international flights. And he's waking up in his hotel room at 3 a.m. 3 in the morning, and his stomach is growling. He can't get back to sleep. So he does what any smart person does in the middle of the night. They get up and try and find breakfast at 3 a.m. in the morning. He wanders the streets in, all around Honolulu, searching and searching and searching, and can't find anything open but this one little dingy, dank diner in a back street of Honolulu. And he opens the door, ding, 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 as the little jingly bell opens. He walks in, sits down at the diner bench, and from behind the counter walks the big, fat guy, greasy armpits, kind of cigarette in his mouth, walks in and goes, what do you want? And Tony's starting to sweat bullets at this stage, like, what have I walked into here? And he sees a donut under the glass case, and he, and he said, I'll just have black coffee in that donut, thanks. Yeah, right, here we go. Gets the donut, and Tony's sitting there munching on his donut, drinking coffee, when the ding, ding, ding goes behind him, and he hears the doorbell go. And in walk, eight to nine to ten scantily clad prostitutes who've just finished their shift in Honol on the Honolulu streets at night. So Tony begins to eat a little bit quicker and begins to sip his coffee a little bit quicker because he's not sure what to do. 
As they come in, they sit down. It's clearly something they do every night. They come in and have their, have their late night snack or their early morning breakfast, depending on the way you look at it. And they sit down, they begin to chat. And it, the, the lady sitting next to Tony it just says, oh, you know, it says to another friend of hers, you know, it's my birthday tomorrow. I'm turning 39. And the other friend who was on the other side of Tony nastily said to her, what do you want from me? You want me to throw your birthday party? Don't we all have the same problems here? Do you want me to throw you, bake you a cake and make you feel nice about yourself? And the poor lady who just said it was my birthday tomorrow is like, what? I, I didn't mean it. I just, I've never had a birthday party and it's just another birthday. But wouldn't it be nice one day to have a birthday party? Wouldn't it be nice to have a cake? And they kind of finish up their business and Tony starts to eat a little slower. When he finishes his donut, he sips his coffee a little slower. And as the prostitutes begin to leave and go back to bed uh, after a long nights of work, uh, Tony's sitting there on his own with the fat guy behind the counter. He looks at his name tag, oh, Harry, Harry, do these ladies come here every night? Harry goes, mm, yeah. This lady right next to me, the one who was just saying it's her birthday tomorrow, does she come in here every night? And Harry goes, yeah, that's Agnes, she's in here every night. Been coming here for years. Tony says, what would it be like, Harry, if we threw her a birthday party? And this big grumpy fat guy just behind the counter, like really smoking a cigarette, not had a smile on his face all night takes the cigarette out of his mouth and a smile begins to creep on his face. Yeah, yeah, we could throw a birthday party. We could make a cake, we could make a big banner with streamers and party poppers and everything. He suddenly, he comes alive. He calls out his wife from the back room. Hey, come out and, and hear this. This guy here wants to throw Agnes a birthday party. Wife gets excited. She, she begins, oh, let's, let's put on extra spread, get some more donuts out, have fresh coffee for them when they come in the next morning. So Tony's like, great, we'll make a plan. We'll get back here tomorrow night, 2.30 in the morning. We'll make the plans. Tony speaks all day, comes back the next night, 2.30 in the morning. And he comes in with his big crepe paper banner that says, happy birthday, Agnes. Harry's come across with the biggest cake Tony has ever seen. Happy birthday, Agnes, written on top of the cake with 39 candles in it. Pride of place in the center of the diner. But word has gotten out. Every single prostitute in Honolulu took the night off and came to be at the birthday party for Agnes. They've been there for hours. They've been waiting for Tony and to get everything set up. They've set everything up, got their party poppers ready. So when 3.30 hits and Agnes comes in after her, her shift, she comes in. Surprise! Happy birthday, Agnes! Out of nowhere, this lady, just, Agnes, is just welling with tears. Because never in her life has she had a birthday party, but for some reason, this stranger called Tony decided tonight was the night we're going to throw her a birthday party. Agnes is overwhelmed, she's overcome. They sing happy birthday to her. She said, I've never had anyone sing happy birthday to me. She comes in, um, Harry comes in, lights all the candles. Agnes is overcome. Blow out the candles, Agnes, blow out the candles. Blows out the candles. Cut the cake, Agnes, cut the cake. And Agnes stands there with the knife in her hand over the cake. And her hand begins to tremble. She says, I, I don't think I can cut the cake just yet. Would it, would, would, would it be okay? I know you put a lot of effort in. Would it be okay if I just took this cake home so I can show my son? And Harry, who's kind of running the show here, goes, sure, sure. Look, if you want it, you can, you can take it home if you want to. And she goes, thank you so much. I really want to show him. So she takes the cake and she lifts it high like the Holy Grail outside the diner door. Ding, 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 off it goes. And suddenly she's bent down the street taking it home. So Tony Campolo is sitting in his diner with all the prostitutes in Honolulu, Harry and his wife, and they're all looking at each other going, what just happened? The guest of honour's left. 
they all look at Tony. And Tony does what only a preacher can do. He hops on his chair. He says, why don't we pray for Agnes? They're in that dingy, dark, dank diner at 3.30 in the morning. Tony begins to pray for Agnes, for her family, for her health, that she would come to know the Lord Jesus. He's basically leading revival in this diner. This is when Harry comes along to Tony and goes, you didn't tell me that you were a preacher. (laughs) Tony goes, yeah, I am. He says, what kind of church do you go to anyway? And in one of those moments where just the right words come, Tony said, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry goes, no, you don't. That church doesn't exist. Because if if that church existed, I would be going there already. Friends, I want to belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Do you? I want to spend my life, all my heart's energy, all my time building up those around me. I want to, as Jesus walks amongst the lampstands and he comes to find us as a church, he would find us not complacent, not apathetic, but going out of our way to share the good news with everyone around us. See, I want to belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes. I want to belong to a church that goes out of our way to sit with the smelly, the unwanted, the disenfranchised. I want to go to a church that takes gender equality seriously. I want to go to a church that opens up its doors to everyone without reservation, no matter your background. I want to go to a church and belong to a church that speaks prophetically to politicians and people in power about policies that are disadvantaged, the poor, the lost, the powerless. That's the kind of church I want to belong to. That's the kind of church that is tasteful to Jesus. I want to be a church that chooses every day, day in, day out, despite the challenges the world may throw at us, to be the good news of Jesus to every nation, tribe, and tongue. Is that the church you want to be a part of? This is the church that Jesus finds tasteful. As Jesus walks amongst the lampstands, what kind of church will He find us to be? Will He look at us and be pleased and encourage us to keep going. To I see your fervor. I see your desire. I see that you're not complacent. Will He see us and encourage us? Or would He see us with our lamp dimming and rebuke us? I know what kind of church I want to belong to. May we be a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes. We've got a call in our church for years. There's a prophetic word given to us years ago to be a light to the nations. And we're about to enter beyond month, as Tim's mentioned, a month where we spend time looking at the work that God is already doing here among us, but actually asking the Lord to speak to us about where next, who next God wants us to be sent to, both locally and globally. We believe that this series of Letters to the Church has been preparing us and preparing our hearts to shape us more into the church Jesus wants us to be. Now is not the time to be complacent. Now is not the time to be apathetic or or rely on the things of the world around us, but to dig deep into Jesus, to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. 
Will we return to our first love as we heard in week one? A deep abiding hunger to be in His presence, to be in the presence of God in prayer and worship? Will we stand firm in this generation and boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus? Will we wake up, as Jason reminded us last week, to choose to live each day with an abundant generosity to see His name glorified and people come to salvation? Will we not be complacent to value the ones and go to the ends of the earth? wherever they might be. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 reminds us, do not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. What kind of church do you want to be? What kind of church do you want to be this morning? How will you live your life so that people will taste and see that the Lord is good? God is doing great things. Let us not become a complacent church like Laodicea. What kind of church do you want to be? It's not an answer that I can give you. It's an answer that we have to hear from the Holy Spirit what He's saying to the church. And we're about to worship God in a moment. We're about to sing about Him being the King of Kings. That it is He who keeps the flame alive. He who lit the flame in the first place is the one who tends to His church today. We're going to sing and glorify His name. And as we do, we're going to hand out a letter from Tim Lucas, our campus pastor here, but also everyone online is going to get a letter from Mark as well, your campus pastor. In it is a picture of the church they're hoping that we can be. An aspiration to not be a complacent church, but to go to the ends of the earth to see the good news preached, to develop a deep intimacy with Him both here and abroad. We're going to hand that letter out in a minute as we sing. And I want to invite you to take that letter, read it. Stick it on your fridge. Let it become part of our DNA as a church that we would become the church Jesus wants us to become, that He would taste and see that we are good. Will you do that this morning with me? Will you ask the Lord as we sing, what kind of church, what kind of disciple do you want me to be? We're going to get those letters to your hands right now and we're going to stand to sing. Why don't you stand with me? And I'm going to pray for us before we sing. If you're online and you miss out on a letter today, why don't you let Mark know? He'd love to get connected with you to help you get that letter into your hands this week. But please stand if you're able, because we'd love to spend right now just dedicating our time to the Lord. Would you pray with me? Loving Lord Jesus, right now, today, in this time, in this place, we surrender our hearts to you and declare that we're yours. Holy Spirit, we want to hear what you're saying to us as a church. We want to discern your mind, Lord God, that we might become a church that helps people taste and see that you are good. So Jesus, today, we honour you, we worship you, and we give our life to you. We pray this, believing it's something you want us to pray in your holy name. Amen. Let's worship.
to all your people. God, help us to be an answer to someone's prayer in the days and weeks ahead. Help us to see your good news spread to the ends of the earth and help us to let people taste and see that the Lord is good. God, we love you and we thank you that you call us and encourage us into the church you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It has been such a great day, hasn't it? To spend time in His Word, but to spend time in this series hearing directly from Jesus. 
I want to invite you, if you are new, we have our Newcomers Lunch directory after the service, also online. But other than that, go this week to be good news for someone and be an answer to prayer. We'll see you next week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.